we get to help. Back in the 1960s, NASA did a study with 1,600 children between the ages of three and five. They gave them eight tests to determine their levels of divergent thinking. Divergent thinking is thinking outside the box. It's coming up with creative solutions for complex problems. There's really two kinds of thinking, convergent thinking and divergent thinking. Convergent thinking is lateral and linear and rational and fact-based. Divergent thinking is intuitive, innovative, artistic. It's funny because experts will tell you that convergent and divergent thinking are equally as important. And yet if you go back through history and study everyone who has ever won a Nobel Prize, what you'll find is that they have all kinds of different levels of convergent thinking, but every one of them scores at or above genius level of divergent thinking. If I give the average person a paperclip, And I said, come up with as many uses as you can for this paperclip. They would come up with about 10 to 15 uses. If I gave that same paperclip to a genius at divergent thinking, they would come up with about 200 uses for that one paperclip. Convergent thinking will explain to us why things are the way they are. Divergent thinking looks at the way that things could be and says, why not? Convergent thinking gives us the facts. Divergent thinking dreams dreams and sees visions. So NASA does this study back in the 1960s with these 1,600 kids. And what they found was 98% of those kids tested at the genius level or above for divergent thinking. NASA was so shocked, in fact, that they decided to follow that same group of 1,600 kids over the next 20 years and test them every five years. So five years later, NASA did another set of tests on these same 1,600 kids when they were between the ages of eight and 10. And what they found was now only 32% of them scored at the genius level for divergent thinking. When they were all teenagers five years later, they found that 10% of them only scored at the genius level of divergent thinking. And by the time these 1,600 little kids aged out of the study and became 25-year-olds, less than 2% of them scored at the genius level for divergent thinking. Incidentally, this study has been repeated over and over and over again with the exact same results. And I wonder why. See, when you were a kid, do you know how many questions you asked every day? You asked 125 questions a day. You know how many questions you ask on average as an adult? Six. So what happened to the other 119 questions? Well, I'll answer that, but first, let me tell you what those 119 questions represent. They represent your sense of wonder, your curiosity, your thirst for knowledge, that attitude in your heart that says, what if? So what happened to the 119 questions? I guess you lost your sense of wonder, your curiosity, your thirst for knowledge, your what if. Or maybe somewhere along the line, as you became an adult, you became convinced that if you asked too many questions, people would think you were ignorant, so you stopped asking. Do you know that when you were a kid, you laughed 150 times a day? You know how much you laugh today as an adult? 17.5 times a day. 
is, <laughs> you're wondering, what's the 0.5? I'm not really sure. It's just an average, okay? Like maybe it's just like a half-hearted laugh. I don't know. Or, or maybe it's uh, like a real laugh is ha-ha and you just said ha. Okay, I, I don't really know exactly. But the question is, what happened to those 132 and a half laughs? Well, I'll answer that in a second. But first, let me tell you what they represent. What those laughs represent is joy, exuberance, enthusiasm, this attitude that says, what's next? So what happened to the 132 and a half laughs? I guess you lost your sense of joy. You lost your exuberance and your enthusiasm, and that attitude inside of you that used to say, what's next? Or maybe somewhere along the line, you became convinced as you became an adult that if you laughed too much, people would think you were foolish, and so you stopped laughing. So I got to tell you the truth. When I read through that study and when I thought about the amount of laughs that have been lost and the amount of questions that have been lost, it kind of broke my heart. To such a degree that I've been spending all week feeling like God has given me a message for you. And so I'm just going to get to it right up front. God called. He wants his genius back. Because the world desperately needs to meet you. God called. He wants his genius back. He wants his why not back. He wants his what if back. What's next? He wants his enthusiasm back, his sense of wonder, his curiosity. God called. He wants his genius back. You say, well, there's no genius in me. Yeah, there is. You say, no, there's not. I can prove it. Do you know that you're the only one in human history perfectly suited at a genius level to be you. And God, the creator of the entire universe, created you on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose, and placed you, of all the moments in history he could have placed you, he placed you here and now. I'm telling you, he's given me a message for you. God called, he wants his genius back, because the world right now, more than ever before, desperately needs to meet you because it's rebuilding time. And thank God you're here. And, and, and when I say that to you I, want you, I want you to hear me say it in two different ways. Number one, I am grateful for you. Thank God you're here. Literally, thank God you're here. But I also tell you it as an exhortation. You need to thank God that you're here. I like this little Winnie the Pooh cartoon it says this, you're braver than you believe stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. You know what's funny? You maybe didn't even need that reminder when you were a kid, but you need it today. God called. He wants his genius back because the world desperately, desperately needs to meet you. Like we've been talking about this guy named Nehemiah. And it's funny when you think about Nehemiah, he wasn't a political powerhouse. He wasn't a fearsome fighter. He wasn't a financial force. He wasn't a cultural icon, but he was a genius. He was a genius at what? He was a genius at being Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was instrumental in the rebuilding of a nation. So what about you? Are you a cultural icon? Are you a political powerhouse? Are you a financial force? Are you a fearsome fighter? You are? That's awesome. 
You're not? That's awesome. Because God called. And he wants his genius back. Because the world today desperately needs to meet you. See, I think out of all the sins that we could possibly commit, none more break the heart of God more than the sin of self-rejection. Henry Nouwen says it this way, the greatest temptations are not money, sex, and power, but self-rejection. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I'm a nobody. My dark side says, I'm no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. God called. He wants his genius back. You were created on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose, by a heavenly father who does not make mistakes. You're a child of God. And there's nothing noble about playing small as a child of God. There's nothing humble about playing small as a child of God. There's nothing helpful about playing small as a child of God. In fact, what I, want to, what I want to suggest to you is that there's this message burning inside of me. God called. He wants his genius back. And part of that process for you and me is going to be this. We need to repent of the sin of self-rejection. There's nothing okay about playing small as a child of God. It's not okay. God called. He wants his genius back because the world desperately, desperately today needs to meet you because it's rebuilding time. And thank God you're here. So we pick up the story of Nehemiah. He's just found that the, the walls of Jerusalem are down and the people are feeling vulnerable and afraid. Verse four of chapter one of Nehemiah says this. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah consistently comes before God, comes before God, comes before God. And then finally, it's the right time and he goes to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you were not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. God called. He wants his genius back. Because the world desperately needs to meet you. 
And I think in this short section out of the book of Nehemiah, we see three keys for calling our genius back. Number one, it's empathy. Number two, persistence. And number three, courage. So first of all, we we see Nehemiah's empathy in this passage as he cares for this city of Jerusalem 1,200 kilometers away from where he is in Susa. And last week, we talked about it, that uh, empathy is a defining characteristic of followers of Jesus. And the reason is simple. Jesus personifies empathy. Jesus didn't look at our plight. He didn't look at our heartbreak. He didn't look at our struggles from afar and stand back aloof. He stepped into human history. He moved into our neighborhood. He put himself literally in our shoes. See, empathy takes sympathy one step further. Sympathy is when you feel sorry for someone. Empathy is when you place yourself in their shoes. So empathy is a defining characteristic of followers of Jesus. And I think that's so important. In fact, you'll hear me often quote Acts 20, verse 35, where Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Man, that's empathy. But I've been feeling so convicted this week that I really don't think that we can give what we don't got. And I'm not trying to be glib and I'm not trying to be silly. I'm absolutely serious when I say this to you. I think for a vast majority of us today, the, fir- the person that we most need to extend empathy towards, the, the, the person whose shoes that we most need to step into and relate to is our own. You know, Jesus said that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Can I be honest with you? I'm not really interested in having you love me like you love you. I don't want you to talk to me like you talk to yourself. I don't want you to condemn me like you condemn yourself. I don't want you to belittle me like you belittle yourself. See, the problem with saying that we all need to have empathy, and it's just that simple, is that we can't give what we don't got. And so what I want to do is I want to introduce to you today a spiritual principle that I developed, trademark, Mike Manis, 2020. Okay, here it is. It's the principle of priming the pump. Now, if you didn't grow up in the country, that might seem like a bit of a foreign concept, but here's the way it basically works. If you have a water pump and there's air in the water lines, then your water pump can't pump water. And what you need to do in that situation is you need to prime the pump. Okay, so you open up the pump and you pour water in in order that the pump will pump and it can send water out. Well, I would suggest to you that in Jesus' name, with Jesus' help, by the power of God today, that you need to spiritually prime the pump. In other words, you have to ask his help to pour grace into your life and to accept that grace so that you can send it. To pour kindness in so that you can send it. To pour forgiveness in so that you can send it. To pour encouragement in so that you can send it. So to to, to pour in this concept of... uh, You were born for genius in so that you can send it out to others. It's the principle of priming the pump because you can't give what you don't got. God called. He wants his genius back because the world desperately needs to meet you. And how do we call our genius back? Well, number one, we call our genius back through empathy. We prime the pump because you can't give what you don't got. And secondly, through persistence. Calvin Coolidge said it this way, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing's more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full 
of educated derelicts. You can need a lot of persistence in this world. Talk about we need to repent of the sin of self-rejection. That's really hard to do in this culture that we live in because we're surrounded by people who haven't primed the pump. They don't love themselves, so they can't love you. They don't encourage themselves, so they can't encourage you. And, and, and our culture almost becomes like a bunch of crabs in a bucket. I've never seen this, but I heard the story told lots of times that if you put a bunch of crabs in the bucket and one of those crabs decides it wants to climb out of the bucket, all the rest of the crabs grab that crab and pull it back down to their level. I think our world's a little bit like that. I don't think really there's any shortage in our world of people that want to tear you down, tell you that you're not, and you won't, and you can't, and you'll never, and you don't measure up to that person. And that dream that you're dreaming is insane. And that vision that you're daring to believe is ridiculous. And and I want to suggest to you today that that we need to actively repent of the sin of self-rejection. And then we need to rebuke those voices. Because what happens is when those voices come at you from the outside for long enough, it won't be long before those voices are speaking in the inside. So not only do we need to repent, but we need to rebuke those voices. We need to rebuke those voices. I was talking to my counselor the other day. He said, man, if you and me were walking down the street one day and a seagull flew down and landed on your head, that would be weird. I know, but let's just say it happened, okay? A seagull flew down and landed on your head. That wouldn't be your fault. That happened. But you know what would be your fault? You know what would be weird? Is if you invited that seagull to stick around and build a nest in your head. So what are you talking about, Mike? I'm not sure. I just want to tell. No, here's what I'm talking about. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean you need to think about it. In other words, just because those, those thoughts of self-rejection come at you, you need to rebuke those thoughts in Jesus' name. That seagull does not get to build a nest in your head. You got to send it on its way. You got to rebuke those thoughts in Jesus' name. And all week long, I've been praying about this sermon and I've been rebuking those voices in your head in Jesus' name. There is nothing noble as a child of God about playing small. We need to repent of the sin of self-rejection. We need to rebuke those voices when they come. And thirdly, we need to replace them. We need to repent, rebuke, and replace. We need to replace those voices, those lies with truth. So here's what I want you to do right now. What I've done is I've uh, worked with our team at Southside and we've come up with 30 key verses that I want you to spend some time in over the next 30 days. 30 voices that will tell you who you really are, that will call out your genius. Okay, so, so, so maybe right now you're still thinking, Mike, what do you mean there's no genius in me? Well, I want to send you Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says this, you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. Man, or maybe you've been thinking, man, after everything that I did in my past, God can never use, use me now. I want to send you 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. That says that Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. In other words, you're as right as right can be right now. 
Man, if you're overwhelmed and you don't think you can do the things that God's calling you to do, I wanna send you Philippians 4.13 that says this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So what I want you to do right now is I want you to text the keyword genius. G-E-N-I-U-S. I almost spelled that wrong, which would mean that I'm not a genius. Okay, so I want you to text the keyword genius to 604-670-3040. 604-670-3040. I want you to text that. And what I'm going to do, well, I'm, okay. What we're going to do is we're going to send you one verse a day for 30 days. Go text the number. You should do it. I'll wait. No, you really should. Because you need to repent of self-rejection. You need to rebuke the voice of self-rejection, but you also need to replace it. So text it, genius, 604-670-3040. I'm gonna send you one verse a day. After 30 days, you won't get any more verses. But if you think, man, I, I want them again, I, I wanna start again, text genius again, and let's keep rolling. See, for me, you know what I'll do? I'm gonna memorize those. Because it's not enough just to repent, and it's not enough just to rebuke, you gotta replace it with truth. Because God called. He wants this genius back. The world desperately needs to meet you. Because it's rebuilding time. And thank God you're here. So how do we call our genius back? Well, number one, through empathy. Got to prime the pump because you can't give what you don't got. Number two, through persistence. We need to repent, rebuke, and replace, send the seagull on its way. And third, we need courage. We need courage. Nehemiah is very courageous in this passage. First of all, he shows up and he looks sad in front of the king. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? In that culture at that time in 444 BC, if you showed up in front of King Artaxerxes and you look sad, he could have you killed. Because what they felt is they felt like it would such a joy and such an honor and such an amazing privilege to be in the presence of the king that you should never be sad, that you would never be sad. But Nehemiah sad. But, the, but there's a second thing here that's incredibly courageous. Nehemiah says to King Artaxerxes, the walls are down. But you notice what he doesn't do? This is what he doesn't do. He doesn't say, so king, you got a lot of money, right? You, you got a lot of soldiers, right? So can you, can you please send some people back to Jerusalem to build those walls. He doesn't say that, does he? This is what he says. Let me quote. He says this, um, let him send me. Let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. What's Nehemiah just been doing? He's been fasting and praying for days. And Nehemiah comes to the conclusion, the incredibly courageous conclusion that he is the answer to prayer. And so are you. In fact, wherever you are right now, I want you to take a second. Whether you're, if you're in public, you can whisper it. If you're by yourself, you can yell it, okay? You need to repeat after me. I am, come on, you need to participate. Okay, I'm participating. I'm standing in the matrix here right now. Everyone's been making fun of me for my wife and here I am, I'm participating, okay? I am the answer to prayer, because you are, because you are. 
I want you to remember that study. Remember that study? All these three to five years old, tight, divergent geniuses. Isn't that incredible? And God, and God called. He wants his genius back. It's in you. It's in you. That's what Jesus said. Um, and, and, unless you become like one of these little children, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. And then he also taught us to pray. To pray God, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God's calling. He wants his genius back. The world desperately needs to meet you today, right now. Because it's rebuilding time. And you're the answer to prayer. Somewhere in your city right now, there's people, their spiritual walls are down. And they've been wondering, man, is, is there, could there, might there be more to life than this? God, are you real? Do you love me? Do you care? Can you help me? And you know what his answer is? His answer is yes. And his answer is you. See, we figured this out a few years back at Southside Church. We were walking around wondering, what are we here for? 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 And one day it just hit me. We are here for this city. That's what we're here for. We're the answer to prayer. So we don't sit around at Southside Church and say, oh God, please help the city. Well, we do, but when, when we do, you know what he says? I will, I will help this city, go. God, please bring hope to this city. God says, I will, I will, I wanna do that. You go. God, please show generosity to our city. God says, I will, I want to, I will, go, you go. God, please show kindness. Please, please, please show help. Please show joy and encouragement to our city. And God says, I will. That's a great idea. I love it. Now go. What a privilege. What an honor. We're the answer to prayer. One of the things that we do at Southside uh, all year round is we keep reminding ourselves we are for this city. We are for this city. And every summer, we do a big day, we call it FTC, which stands for, for the city, interestingly enough, okay? And, and so we do this one big day every summer. And it's just a, just a day when we um, remind ourselves, we use divergent thinking. We use divergent thinking to think, about how, how can we show to our city how much we love them? How much God loves them? How much he cares? How much help he wants to extend to them? And so for a day, we kind of try to manifest what, the way we live all year in a really concentrated way. And so we, we pack backpacks full of school supplies for, for uh, elementary school students living below the poverty line right here in the Fraser Valley. And we collect food on that same day so that we can feed them throughout the year. That's just our way of saying, God, loves you. God sees you. We're the answer to prayer. Or we put together uh, these incredible diaper bags and strollers and we send them to the, to the maternity ward at Chilliwack General Hospital to moms who are going through really, really tough times. It's just our way of being the answer to a prayer. Or something as simple as this, we wash cars and we fill up gas tanks for single moms and for uh, senior citizens just to let them know that even though we can't fix everything, 
we're going to do something because we want them to know that they are not alone. We're the answer to prayer. Or we prepare sunshine boxes for families walking through critical illness. Again, knowing that we can't fix everything, but desperately wanting to do something. And so what I want to suggest to you is that this year, we're going to do for this city on August the 8th. And it's going to take some divergent thinking because it's going to look a little bit different this year. But that's okay. Because my goal is that it would be the biggest FTC that we've ever had. That we would have more participation than we ever have. Because things are a little different now, that's okay. We'll just do some divergent thinking. We'll, we'll, we'll think of ways that even in this interesting uh, climate that we live in right now, that we can find a way to be the answer to prayers. So what I would ask you to do right now is text FTC to that same number, 604-670-3040. I'm gonna be bugging you a lot between now and August 8th, but I really, really want us all to do this. Let's find something. Let's find some way to extend, to love, to show kindness to our cities. Because I want you to know that if you're watching this right now from a different city, we, we wanna be for your city too. So in a big way and in a small way, on August 8th, we want to team up with you. and We want to find a way to extend some kindness and extend some love to your city also. So let's team up. Let's, hey, let's think outside the box this year. Man, I would just love it if we could have more participation in For This City and FTC than we've ever had August 8th, 2020. So please mark it down your calendar. Text FTC. We'll get back to you and we'll start dreaming big outside the box dreams. That's courageous. It's courageous. When you kind of come to this point in your life when you realize I'm the answer to prayer. And that there's people in your city right now and their spiritual walls are down. And they're looking around going, there's got to be more to life than this. There's gotta be. God, are you there? Are you real? Do you love me? Can you help me? And his answer is yep. And his answer is you. God called. He wants his genius back. Because right now, in this moment, the world desperately needs to meet you. It's rebuilding time. It's rebuilding time. And thank God you're here. So three things we're gonna do to call our genius back. Number one, empathy. We're going to prime the pump because you can't give what you don't got. Number two, we're going to use persistence. We're going to repent. We're going to rebuke. And we're going to replace. We're going to send the seagull on its way. And number three, we're going to be courageous. We're going to be courageous. We're going to come to this point in our life when we realize I am the answer to prayer because you are. So as I close today, I just want to ask you one question. Man, have you been struggling with self-rejection? It's so easy. You know what? You can look back at your track record and see there's <clears throat> so many things that you did right, but there's also some, some things that you did wrong. And you can live in regret. You can live in condemnation. You can live in rejection. But I want to remind you of something that I said earlier, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history so that we don't have to live there anymore. He wants to lift you up out of that. Jesus stepped into human history. He lived, he died, he rose again so that you could have forgiveness for your past, strength for your present, hope for tomorrow, and the promise of eternal life. 
So if you're struggling with that perception, I want to give you the opportunity right now to invite Jesus into your life, to take hold of that salvation that he came, died, and rose again to give you. So right now, wherever you're at, I'm just going to pray out loud. I would invite you to pray with me. So dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you came, that you died, that you rose again. I thank you that you love me so much unconditionally. It's hard for me to believe, but I pray God that step by step, you will help me to see me the way that you see me. That you would give me that fresh start, that new beginning, that strength to become everything that you created me to be, to live the life today, tomorrow, and forever that you created me to live. Thank you. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. So two things before I go. Number one, don't forget to text genius, G-N-I-U-S, 604-670-3040. And again, August 8, 2020, the biggest FTC that we've ever done. Text in FTC. It is going to be awesome. I love you guys. See you next week.